Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. Sam Bruce in Sydney and uh, Christy Doran, well, he's uh, flown off uh, on Sunday morning after the uh, Wallabies Springboks game and, and made tracks for the French Riviera, coming to us from, of all places, Saint-Tropez. Uh, mate, geez, you're doing it tough. Look, I'll tell you what, the, the Sunday morning wake-up was, was tougher than people realise when you um, finish up at the game when we walked out of the stadium together, what was it, about 12.30am and then you're back at about you know 1am at home and then before you know it, you're waking up and packing and, and uh, you're right, I am in Saint-Tropez, the heart of the French Riviera here for the uh, upcoming Sail GP event, but there's a sneaky cross-promotion with some F1 types over the next 24 hours, which should be pretty cool too. Half your luck, mate. Uh, I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll have a fantastic few days there. It's a, uh, it's a beautiful spotter. Was fortunate to have dinner there once upon a time, and uh, yes, can uh, certainly recommend the uh, the risotto at La Ponte, which I don't think you're too far away from. So, um, I'm sure you'll uh, you'll get there and probably try a little bit of the local rosé as well at some point, no doubt. Uh, otherwise, today we're joined, uh, which is great to have on board uh, Brittany Mitchell, ESPN colleague, uh, who was at the game uh, for us on Saturday night for ESPN. Um, and Britt, I think it's a, a great way to start with you. Welcome back, first of all. Um, how do we reflect on Saturday night then? Uh, 24-8 to South Africa, four tries to one. Fairly comprehensive right from the outset. And again, it's one of these cases where the Wallabies, you think they've turned the corner and then immediately uh, the next week, uh, they can't back it up. Yeah, I don't know how everyone else felt leading into the game, but to be honest, I did have a almost a sickly feeling in the stomach. And uh, it wasn't because Gordon had lost the shoot shield game that earlier that afternoon, but for some reason going off the back of what the Wallabies have been producing this year, I went into the game. I I have to be honest, I wasn't confident. I wasn't confident that the Wallabies were going to do it. Um, and it was the same issues that we see, I guess, week in, week out. Uh, one week they produce the goods, they look unbeatable. And then the next week, the wheels essentially fall off. Um, on Saturday night, it was there was there was no response to the the Springboks kick ga- kicking game, just completely pushed back into their own twenty two constantly, um, and instead of trying to use any kind of uh, uh, possession that they had and and kick their way out of it, they essentially just returned the ball and were straight back in the defensive and when you start the game off with um, the box just completely smashing you off the park around the breakdown and and the collision area, um, you've got a long way to go to come back in and and they just didn't have a response to it. And uh, I think the Wallabies fans that rocked up to the new Allianz Stadium, which looked phenomenal, um, I think they'd be rightly upset that yet again they've turned up uh, hoping for the best from the Wallabies and, and turned up and saw, you know, a, a bit of a mess. Um, and, you know, we can't just fall back on, you know, there was a few injuries there. Noah with a head knock, Wasami head knock, and then uh, Tupo didn't even get on the field with a calf injury. But even when you had all those issues before all that even happened, they, they didn't look in it at all. They didn't fire a shot um, and, you know, it just wasn't a good night. It wasn't a good game to really watch when you're a Wallabies fan. Christy, how much of this um, was, uh, obviously we, we knew there was going to be a response from the Springboks, uh, their world champions for a reason. They were 
particularly poor in, in Adelaide and failed to take their, their opportunities. Um, how much credit uh, do we need to, to give to them? Obviously, they came out of the blocks really well, had that try to Damien Dialonde within 10 minutes, um, basically dominated the first 20 and, and kept the Wallabies to, to three points for all but the final couple of uh, minutes of the match. Um, how much uh, was that? Was this result uh, on their performance and how much of it was the Wallabies uh, their own doing, do you think? Oh, you have to give credit to the, the Springboks and how they came out of the blocks. They were just firing, weren't they? And, and Damien Dialonde was, was someone that I thought was very much setting the tone for that. Um, you saw when he scored the try just how much it meant to him, slamming the ball down in the ground in front of the, the heavy Springbok fans that were there at the southern end. Um, look, I, I think the Wallabies really lost it in that opening half now. Yes, the injuries came either side, and it was extraordinary that they were still in the Conte league. They had to score two quick tries before you know it. You never know. But... Yeah, they were beaten at the breakdown and Sia Khaleesi was immense there and the Wallabies were way too slow to the breakdown. We saw Fraser Midwright stumble once there um, and Sia Khaleesi straight on it the second time Hunter Paisani goes into Condi minutes. So <clears throat> the Wallabies had opportunities in the first 20-25 minutes but every time they go into the Springbok attacking zone, whether that's 30 out, 22 out, the box were just on it and they were fired up. It was a really impressive performance. But, geez, the Wallabies have just not been able to show any indication that they can go back-to-back and string performances together. So there's a lot to unpick. There's a lot to Dave Rennie to work out. And, and obviously, continuity selection at times can help. But, um, you know, they look a little bit predictable at times. At times, they're a bit slow. At times, you don't quite know how they want to play and how they want to attack. Um what their identity, I'm not quite sure, is at the moment. They seem like they pl- want to play up-tempo at times and then other times they want to slow it down through a Nick White box-kicking game, but they don't have people that can contest in the air. And, and I think people like Tom Wright, Marie Corabetti, they're not great in the air. Um, and if you're going to have a, a heavy box-kicking kind of influence, you've got to try to win the ball back. And at the moment, they're not. Yeah, yeah, spot on, and and I think um, you know we saw that uh, Kane and Moody's try was was fantastic. Uh, the young Springboks winner on debut uh, flew through the air, great chase, timed his leap to perfection, scooped it above Marika, who really didn't even get off the ground. It must be said, and and sprinted away forty odd meters to to score a, a fantastic try on debut, and he's about the third or fourth choice, or even fifth choice, I think, winger. Um, Springboks coach Jacques Nienaber mentioned uh, post-match. So it just shows the incredible depth that, that they've got to work with. Uh, conversely, Britt, there's not too many places left for the Wallabies to go. Clearly, um, if we focus in at number 10, you mentioned Noah Lollasea with a head knock. Um, now he, uh, with this match being a Thursday night, it is 12 days with, under the new World Rugby um, concussion protocols. This will serve that period still, but um, it's got to be slightly concerning if he has any symptoms. We haven't had an update from the Wallabies in the last couple of days as to how he's tracking uh, Hunter Paisami. Could be a little bit more concerning given he was actually properly knocked out. Um, it's his second concussion during the championship this year. So there's clearly some issues to come um, selection-wise. It's not the greatest um, point to be entering into a, a Bledisloe Cup where, you know, earlier, just a few weeks ago, people were talking that this might be the year that the drought breaks. Now, I was certainly one uh, who was never entertaining that, given I didn't think the All Blacks would be 
continue to struggle as they did. And um, clearly they turned the corner on the weekend. But um, short turnaround here for Dave Rennie. Um, they'll reform the Wallabies on, on Friday, I believe, on the Gold Coast. Um, he's got plenty to ponder, um, particularly in that 10-12 channel um, leading into uh, the Bledisloe Cup next Thursday in Melbourne. Uh, yeah, like you said, obviously uh, they've had a, a few issues in, in that 10 position this year alone now that Quaid's gone for the year. Um, it Obviously Dave's uh, made the decision that James O'Connor just isn't fit for the position at the moment. He really has not looked good in that role this year and, and he's not even in camp. It wasn't even in squad for the last few weeks. Um and then, you know, if Noah's gone, I guess next cab off the ranks is is Bernard Foley, who hasn't played a test since 2019. Um, so, you know, there's it's not a lot for people to look forward to there. As much as uh, Foley is cool under pressure, when you haven't had any games in, in your legs, which is exactly the issue that James O'Connor had coming back to the Wallabies team. He had no no minutes in his legs, made uh, made his return off the bench against England and just really did not look good when he came on. Gave Was given a second chance uh, when he started against the Pumas and, again, just did not, uh, didn't really make an impression in that game, that, that massive loss um, in Argentina. So when you've got issues like that and uh, coming up against the, the All Blacks who have just turned turned it around themselves, uh, it, it's it's got to be a, a, a difficult time for the Wallabies heading out. And then, like you said, Paisami out. He has been, uh, you know, one of the best assets the Wallabies have. Um, you, you miss out on that power, that uh, the ability to break the line. Um, and manipulate defence once he's gone. And and as Christy's mentioned earlier, when when you constantly cho- chopping and changing your lineup, uh, you can't find consistency. And that's been the biggest issue the Wallabies have had this year. So, uh, <clears throat> I mean, if Foley gets his chance, it it'll be good to see him back out back out there in that jersey. But I, I just I don't see it um, turning things around for them. Christy, was the most, perhaps, well, maybe not the most disappointing thing, but but certainly um, one of the the more disappointing aspects of Saturday night, that this was such a, an event. It was the opening, the first, well, not the opening, but the first international event at the new Allianz Stadium. We were treated to a beautiful, well, an amazing fireworks display, um, all the bells and whistles with the new light-up goalposts, and um, it was just a, a wonderful build-up to, to kick off, and and not only was the Wallabies' performance um, subpar, but it wasn't a great spectacle either, was it? I think it was it was 30 penalties blown um, in total from Ben O'Keefe. The, the match never really had any kind of flow, any momentum to it, while the Springboks scored four tries, as we mentioned. They were kind of all, um, you know, one spaced out from another. Um, the Wallabies, I can't remember a time when they really looked like building more than six or seven phases, and the one time they did when they were playing under advantage uh, the TMO interjected and and Alan Alatale was was pinned for a neck roll so it was kind of a left you know on what should have been a bit of a I guess a red letter day for um, Australian rugby there was just a little bit of a an ill feeling of a a missed opportunity given that there was you know it was a sellout I think it was 39,000 there but apparently there was parts of the stadium that were still 
not finished completely. Um, uh, reflecting on the on the whole event, yeah, I think you've nailed it, actually, Sammy. I think it, it came down to um, a golden opportunity where there's thirty nine thousand people there, aren't they? And you're right, the bells and whistles were on. You could see John Howard in the right, and the uh, in the rugby Australia's um, uh, president kind of suite there, and and it just had no momentum, no flow. Um, it was stifled. There was, as you're right, Ben O'Keefe was blowing the whistle off, but there was things around the breakdown, uh, the clearance, there was scrums, there was Andrew Callaway getting penalised for little bumps off the ball. Um, it wasn't a missed opportunity. And, and it's 2015 since the Wallabies beat a tier one opposition there. And I remember last week I asked Dave Rennie just about that and he kind of played it down by going, well, you know, in Brisbane we have a... Um, a great record there. Uh, I think it's just, you know, merely coincidence. But Sydney is a massive heartland for rugby. New South Wales is. And the fact that you've only beaten Samoa in 2019, it's the last victory you had in Sydney. It's just, you know, it's not just against the All Blacks that the Wallabies have lost against. It's, it's Scotland in 2017. It's England twice. It's Ireland. Um, the All Blacks four times. Two Argentinian draws in there. You're like, this is a horrible record in Sydney, isn't it? Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, when you reflect on on that, and, and people might forget, uh, yes, Ireland in in 2018, uh, Scotland in 2017, uh, both at the old uh, the old Allianz Stadium. Clearly, um, disappointing defeats both of them. Scotland, you know, even in a Lions year, you know, I think they might have only had one or two guys away with the Lions, but but still, at, at that point, Scottish rugby was certainly struggling. Struggling badly. So yeah, yeah, Sydney uh, has not been a happy hunting ground at all for the Wallabies. And then this was the perfect opportunity to, to turn that around. And mind you, as we said, the Springboks were, were very good and we know that they were going to bounce back strongly. Uh, Damien Willemser was superb at, at number 10 man of the match. I actually thought probably Skipper C. Khaleesi was the best, best on ground for me. Uh, he was phenomenal uh, about four or five turnovers or, or certainly uh, penalties won from, from Ben O'Keefe, uh, the desperation and his break down the sideline and offload, but then to scramble back for Stephen Kitsoff's loose pass and and dive and scoop up the ball and, and keep it in field in one motion, which then led to the Franco Mostert try. Um, I thought he was really back to his best. And and Moody, as we mentioned, we ought to have, um, you know, Cheslin Colby out injured and then Jan Hendrixer, um, who, uh, who, oh, sorry, Arenze, sorry, who was involved with that, um, that Bowden Barrett collision, which meant he didn't travel to, to Australia through suspension. Um, and then, you know, Kane and Moody now as a 19 year old, um, geez, they've got some, some speed to burn. We might touch a little bit more on them later on. Sammy, to tell me, mate, do you think the performance and, and Britt come in here as well? Was there, you know, we know that Michael Hooper's not in the squad at the moment. There's no Karevi, no Quade Cooper, but, does it feel like the Wallabies were lacking a little bit of leadership out there? Guys that can really, you can pull behind because they were flat, weren't they? They were. And I think, you know, James Slipper has come into this role. Mind you, he has done it in the past, clearly at the Reds. Um, he's not captain uh, at the Brumbies. Uh, clearly that's Alan Alalatoa. And, you know, maybe that's that's something to consider in the, the coming weeks because you've got to think that Angus Bell might be putting a bit of pressure on once he's fit again to to start at loose head. Um, but in this young team, you, you really, your only other leadership is coming from say a, a Nick White at, at number nine. Now we know how tough he did it the other night. Uh, he was booed certainly from large sections of, of the Springboks fans who were there. There was a big bay of them at one end at, at Allianz stadium. And 
Um, you know, the, the Springboks looked to rattle him early on. He was involved in a couple of verbal exchanges at different parts, uh, different points early on. They managed to upset the breakdown. And and as a halfback, you know, when the ball scoots out the back and, and you're not there, and um, if that happens early on, they can really unsettle you. And I think that's certainly what happened with Nick the other night. But it's, mate, it's a, it's a fair point. You, you listed the guys there who are senior figures in that Wallabies team who are who are out injured. And, um, you know, when they did get off to start such a, a shaky start, um, there was no Michael Hooper to, to gather them under the posts and and say, look, fellas, we just need to settle here, get down the other end and and restart and basically start from scratch. So, um, yeah, I'm sure most people will have seen an update from Dave last week saying that Michael certainly won't be back for, you know, these closing two weeks, the rugby championship. Um, sounds, you know, uh, unlikely that he will travel on the on the spring tour as well. Although Christy, you might have an update. Well, yeah, it is interesting on that. I, I my understanding is that Michael Hoops camp were a little bit surprised by Dave Rennie's comments last week. They, there was a little inkling that maybe in the second test that you know it generally takes ten to twelve days to get up to speed with the reps that you have to get into. Because he he hadn't at this point in time. This might have changed in the last day or two, but hadn't had any physical contact, made a tackle, or been tackled himself, keeping himself fit very much. But there was the outside chance. Potentially, he might join a Wallaby squad, maybe not play. Um, but you know, the idea that he was going to get ruled out was, was caught a few people by surprise. There you go. Um, I guess, you know, your final thoughts then on, on Saturday night, um, you know, we keep harping back to, and it's a question I put to Dave at um, and the post-match pressure presser as well around you know there's so many times now we've had these instances of, of one step forward and you think this this is it this is the turning point only for the next week to to feel like it's it's two steps back again and they have to you know once again find something that you know is going to be the spark in this squad that you know really suggests that they can do something or that they are progressing in their development towards the World Cup but it feels very much like to, to back to square one again and you know now heading into a Bledisloe series as we mentioned um, right on the back foot um, the All Blacks you know after a 53-3 victory over the Pumas um, with a bit of confidence back uh, no Artie Sevilla won't travel to to Marvel Stadium next week but they've still you know got the crux of, of that squad and Brady Retallick back in action of course on the weekend as well so a big in there um you know, I guess where where is this Wallabies team at then? If we look, say, two Bledisloe tests to come, um, I think um, maybe one match on the way is Japan. Is that on, or is it five tests up in uh, up in Europe and the UK? I'm, I'm not sure. I think the the All Blacks are playing Japan, but I'm not sure the Wallabies have confirmed. Well, I think it's just the five tests uh, up there, from my understanding, but. Clearly, there's an Australian A squad that's going to be going up there at some point in time as well. Those tests haven't, unofficial tests haven't been confirmed just yet. Yes, Australia A, sorry to play in Japan. You'll hear more about that soon. Um, so, I, I mean, to, to sum up, you know, I guess the, the mood of the nation, Brittany, if you like, of, of where the, this team is at moving forward and, um, you know, what they can potentially... I think a lot of people will be pretty devastated with where the Wallabies are at. Like you mentioned, the the one step forward, almost two steps back. Um, you know, they people are desperate to buy into this team. They really, a lot of rugby fans are really desperate to see the Wallabies find success. And every year the blood is low comes around and every year people start to buy into the Wallabies game plan. 
And I think, but uh, like every year, we get disappointed. And a lot of fans, I think, have just hit that wall, especially after Saturday night, when you see just the wheels fall off, nothing really going right, just uh, the, the the attack game plan didn't, there was, it didn't feel like there was anything going on there. Defence was just completely off the pace. And then when you look at the All Blacks who completely turned it around against the, uh, against, uh, the Pumas, who put on 50 points, and then uh, we know that the All Blacks, when they go down, they, they are quick to turn it around. And being next on the chopping block, uh, it's not a, a good feeling at all. Uh, and when you've got so many things going on, will Noah be there? Will Hunter be there? Uh, and will Tupo be there? Uh, it, it's just, uh, it's not looking great. And I think a lot of people will have written off this Blood is Low series already. Um, and it, it's just, you know, it's just not uh, a great time. To, like the last few years, it's just not a great time to be a Wallabies fan, unfortunately. The, the harsh realities of all of this is the Wallabies, uh, you know, got a winning percentage of 40.7% under Dave Browning. So they're, they're the harsh realities of it. Look, I don't think it's actually as doom as gloom as what it might necessarily feel like. You know, in 2020, we know that there was only six tests um, uh, and there was a couple of draws in there. And we've seen glimpses of what they can offer, but sides, you can't necessarily call it a rebuilding team now and a team in transition now because you know, there's only so long that can happen. Or, but they've got a, a Fraser McRight who's come through. They've got you know, clearly because of Craig's injury, they've, they've had to turn to someone like a Noah Lawasio. These are encouraging steps forward. It's about backing, coming in behind these couple of guys. The attack was off for reasons we've already discussed, particularly around the breakdown. But, you know, in the second half, when you've got a, a Lenny Yikatau going you know, inside centre, when he's never played there really in his life, um, a brand new 13 and Andrew Kellaway is hardly spending time there, particularly from a national perspective. Reese Hodge coming in at 10. And Jake Gordon defending in times in the in the front line, as well as uh, as as Nick White on the wing and being caught out with that last try to Nakazol Mapimpi. There's reasons behind their defeat, but and and it's only a few Test matches that the Wallabies put 40 odd points on Argentina to snare a bonus point themselves. So look, there are some encouraging things there. It's about the consistency, and I, I'm going to be really fascinated by the the team and the squad selection going into this latest size series because you know the 6-2 split particularly has frustrated me. I found it really weird. I found it a negative kind of mindset because it's denying other people like a Sully Bunavalu opportunities to come off the bench. It, it, it leaves yourself vulnerable to a situation on the weekend, particularly when you've got a Noel Olaceo who's still pretty young and he might have had a good test match the week earlier, but the thing about being young is it's very hard for them generally at test level to string really good, strong, consistent performances. So if someone is struggling after 50 minutes, take him off and you bring a Bernard Foley on or you you, you, you shift Reese Hodge there and, and you have a, a full back there and you have cover. But it allows you to make decisions rather than having the brutal, harsh realities of having a, a good game followed by a bad game. Sometimes you can just ease them away from the firing line by putting them back to the bench. 
to look at it a, a wider lens, guys, and I think probably to sum up, we'll close this this chapter off. Is that we've, you know, I guess for once we've got a rugby championship that is that is wide open with a final two weeks to go. And you know, we look at the the Six Nations most years and think, oh, how good is it? We're going down to the final day this year. Now, who knows? We might not get to the final day. The, the All Blacks might come out and and defeat the Wallabies with a bonus point next week, and and certainly make it very tough uh, for anyone to catch them, pending what happens in the other game, of course. In in Argentina, but everyone's two and two. Um, you know, teams have played some some very good rugby, and, and teams have played some some very poor rugby. So, um, a fascinating conclusion uh, to come Thursday and Sunday in ten and uh, I guess uh, a nine day, eight days time, respectively, when we're recording this on on Tuesday. Um, so I can't wait to to see what finishes over the the closing weeks. Um, mentioned the All Blacks probably don't need to do too much on them. Fifty three. Three win in Hamilton. Um, certainly, Joe Schmidt might just be uh, having a, a little bit of impact on on the way they're uh, they're attacking. Um, and uh, yes, Rico Ioani having his best game for a long while as well. How did Australia's women's sevens team bounce back after the disappointment of Tokyo? What is driving their pursuit of an historic 2022 treble? And what exactly is crunning? Coach Tim Walsh sits down with Brittany Mitchell for the latest edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, so we're going to take on a slightly different, um, I guess, uh, consideration this week in, and look at um, a post that was was put on uh, LinkedIn um, by Annika Jabs- Jamison, uh, I think the, the co-founder of the Sports Collective, um, which really, I think, put a bit of a, a rocket through Australian rugby on on Friday Thursday night, Friday morning, um, when I came across it uh, uh, last week ahead of the the Sydney Test. Now, um, certainly, you know, it really put a bit of a, a negative tinge to to what was lying ahead on Saturday uh, at Allianz Stadium. But um, a really, I guess, alarming um, snapshot of of what one woman's experience has been in Australian rugby. Um, a, a rugby lover, a rugby player. Um, someone who's been in the the game for for over a decade, um, and if you haven't seen it, I, I urge you to go and seek it out. Um, I'm sure probably those of us, those of you who listen to this podcast regularly, uh, there's every chance you will have come across it. Um, there were things in there that were that were really concerning uh, allegations of, of, of sexual harassment and um, even a, a proposition about getting a, a sponsor deal done by by one senior figure at a at a club night. So. Um, that's really, you know, very, very sad to hear. Um, and, and certainly, you know, the, while there wasn't a formal response or not one that I've seen from uh, either Rugby Australia, Chief Executive Andy Marinos or, or Chairman Hamish McLennan, Mark McCartney, who is the head of comms, the new head of comms, been in the job um, a few months now, uh, responded from his own uh, personal Twitter account, which at least was, was something. And, you know, Twitter accounts, Personal Twitter accounts often have the, um, you know, the proviso that this is, you know, the personal thoughts. But he was, I, I spoke to him about it, and it was uh, unofficial but official, if you like. So at least there was something. Um, Britt, I'll, I'll come to you because you're, uh, you know, there's probably a few better places than you to, to comment um, on this situation. You're a, you're a rugby follower your whole life. You're a rugby player now with Gordon. Your family's been involved with Gordon uh, for, you know, the best part of a couple of decades, and. Um, you know, you've mentioned things to me along the way, certainly around how, you know, women's rugby is, has been positioned, um, uh, in general. Um, and I guess just, just fill us in on what your reaction to, to seeing this post was last week. And 
um, and just if you had any similar experiences. Yeah, um, I came across it late last week and and at first, got to be honest, when it first popped up, I kind of I didn't click into it, kind of brushed it aside. Um, there are a lot of times uh, as a, a female in rugby, I do hear a lot of grievances warranted and sometimes not warranted within rugby and um, was kind of in this headspace of I don't really want to hear uh, more of what's wrong with rugby, but um, I, I gave it a read and, and, you know, there are uh, things that there was a lot of things she said that I agree with. And, and then I, there's some things that I was a bit, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a um, fan girl of rugby Australia. I, I don't um, agree with everything they do, but sometimes I do fall into this. A lot of people, especially when it comes to women's rugby, a lot of people are very quick to attack RA with with what they do and, and what they don't do around the women's game um, and of course I, I want the players to be paid and I want them to receive a salary and I want them to be full-time professional athletes who and they completely deserve it but at the same time I'm completely aware of the state that rugby is in in Australia and um, I think a lot of people look at what AFL have done and NRL have done and expect that rugby can do the same thing. And, and unfortunately, we're just rugby in Australia isn't in that position. We can't go, you know, full steam ahead at this stage and, and put, you know, full time contracts out at this time. And I would love to see it. And it's great to hear that. Rugby Australia have the plans in motion and they, they want to have it done by the next World Cup. So 2025, it sounds like a long time and I don't want it to take that long, but completely understand that um, there's a lot of things that need to be done. And it is really disheartening to hear um, issues around the game when people mention har harassment and and, and things like that and I'm but at the same time I'm, I'm not shocked um, I've been in situations where I've had people make very inappropriate comments to me I mean just looking around the media box on Saturday night uh, of the you'd say 10 to 15 people in the media box two of us were female um, so it just goes to show there's still a long way to go with female representation, even in just that area of the game. Um, and it, it, it is sad and upsetting that we're still um, facing all these issues. Um, but like you mentioned, Mark's response um, was on the, the money, I guess. The Rugby Australia are doing what they can. Um, they are putting things in motion. They are setting up uh you know, the Super W, they're setting up the Wallaroos to be on course to be full-time athletes. And um, it's just a hard situation. Like we want, we want these women to get paid and we want them to become the best athletes they can be. But unfortunately, we're just at this point in time that there's not the money to do it, which is, yeah, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Yeah, there's no question that Rugby Australia, like a lot of workplaces, are playing catch up, and and certainly, you know, it's something that we're trying to improve at, at ESPN as well, isn't it? You know, where first of all we're going to have, um, you know, dedicated coverage at the the Women's World Cup next month with with Brit heading over to New Zealand. Um, we're going to shoot a feature with the Wallaroos in the coming days. 
this week. So we're trying to drive that side of things from a from a media um, perspective as well. And Christy, I guess to to take a slightly wider look at it, um, some of the the issues that were raised in that um, it was linked first of all off the top to the the pursuit of Joseph Sawali. Um, you know, at, at the reported figure of of two million dollars a season, a five year deal worth ten million. Now, if you believe that. Rugby Australia A has got the funds to to pay two million dollars a year for for any player, which would make him the the highest paid player in the world. Um, is is just ridiculous, and we've seen this previously from you know sections of of the media here in Sydney in particular. Um, and we know agents like to play games, and and that's just what they do. But you know that, that, that's take that out of it. Um, the game is is still playing catch up clearly, and they went down a path where they you know tried to. I guess make uh, sevens the way in for for women uh, in rugby uh, in this country, and and I think that's been you know largely pretty successful. We've seen you know one I guess or two even you know uh, transitions of this Australian women sevens t- sevens side, um, the, the new faces that have come in this year and have helped the the team return to the, the top of the world and winning the World Series, the Com Games, and and chasing a, a historic treble with the World Cup sevens in Cape Town this weekend coming. So um, clearly that the, the space has improved and I'm not saying that it's anywhere near where it needs to be, but um, you, you know, it's, it's playing catch up like the rest of us. Yeah. It look, you got to be, I appreciate Britt's words and she's definitely someone who's um, uh, done a lot to improve the game, the coverage of the game. The, in terms of the media coverage is, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the media these days is dictated by numbers and very specific numbers. You can see who clicks into what and what they click into. And unfortunately, women's sport on a whole, but particularly women's rugby from what I've seen, and with the exception of live content, um, it's very rarely read. And, and that's unfortunate because now journalists are measured on who reads what. And I know that that's from various media outlets. It's not just News Corp. It's not just... Even Fox is right across the board. Um, as for the the story itself, look, I I thought there was some. It was about time that someone brought it to a head, and and I think we were at Adelaide over a few of this, and we were thinking, geez, like, and I know, Ruby Tui was probably summed it up best, didn't she? And she hit the the nail on the head, and then a day or so later, there's a, a big story there around Joseph Swaley, but the the numbers there were ludicrous and they were over the top. So to, to base the story on the premise of that was kind of wrong because it would have been $5 million over. Um, so that was unfortunate. And there were a few other discrepancies and in inaccuracies there, but the wider fundamental kind of take from it, she was right. And look, I think it shows when the sevens program is it's up there with the best in the world. Clearly, it, you know, I think a time game from, winners, Olympic from, winners, they're all cricket, paid well. From cricket in Australia too, it's probably the number two professional outfit or professional sports team for women in the country. Yeah, exactly. So I don't look. It's very difficult when then you go from a specialised program with they're there about twenty to you know thirty or forty or thirty you know across the five Super W sides to therefore pay them in addition would would be really difficult at the moment, but that is going to change. And you can see that. And I think with the advent of private equity just around the corner, that is going to change things. And you will see that, which is good, because it's not just the women's game that needs to be pumped up there. It is the men's game, but 
specifically the, the grassroots of the game, which is completely unnourished at the moment. So I think there are some, some good things there. Patience is probably required. Um, and we know that there's a huge, you know, 50% of the country is, is female and you'd be mad not to tap into a large percentage of women. And that's right across the sport and it should be right across the women's sporting landscape. It's not just rugby. These issues is, uh, are confronting. It's, it's all. And, and look, you know, we know that the NRLW has its strengths, but it also has its weaknesses. And uh, I think you know, the world cup over the next couple of months in New Zealand is going to be, I, I think it will be, it will shine a light on the shortcomings of Australian rugby in that sense. And we'll see that because I don't think they're necessarily make, going to make the pointy end. But hopefully, you know, we get to see what New Zealand's women can do, England's women particularly do, who have been paying their plays in a domestic competition for some time. We've got Emily Chancellor is heading over there to join Harlequins. And there's opportunities in the women's space for players to do that too. So, so I think it's... There's, there's some positive things around the corner for, for women's rugby. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely heading in the right direction. Britt, just a closing thought. I was going to say, you mentioned the the uh, English Premier Premiership. They they've also, you know, brought in Bella McKenzie. She's also going over to the Harlequins as well, and and she previously played over in New Zealand. So, you know, there are opportunities. Unfortunately, at this stage, they're all offshore. Um, and as you mentioned, this this World Cup is really going to expose just, I guess, how far behind our program really is. We we saw it when the Wallaroos were over in in New Zealand and they got absolutely trounced over in Christchurch. They're not the first Australian team to go to that graveyard. Um, and then uh, earlier this year, they they fell to Japan, which I think was a, a pretty shocking result. Um, it's been great that we have seen so many test match test matches this year, um, and it's great that their World Rugby has put in an initiative that there will be um, world events going on uh, through into the future. But as we saw when they played in New Zealand in the Pack Four, um, there is the talent and the ability, but you can't really you can't reach your peaks if you've got girls um, going to work nine to five getting on the light rail in Sydney to race to Daisyville to get to training at 5.30 um, and training from 5.30 to 8.30. Um, even the fact that the Wallaroos don't even train together until a few weeks before the test matches just exposes just, you know, just how far off the pace they are at this time. And uh, as Christy said, I don't think they're going to get to that pointy end of the World Cup. Their aim is to get the top eight, which I think is uh, reasonable. But um, that opening match against the, uh, against New Zealand will really showcase just um, where this team is going and, and um, you know, the next steps that they could take over the next few years. On the flip side, at Eden Park, the home of New Zealand rugby, it's going to be a fantastic event for women's rugby in general looking beyond you know Australia so I'd urge everyone to to check it out on on Stan and and nine gem I think are going to be showing a, certainly the Australian games as well moving through so um yeah uh clearly some some work to be done I don't think anyone questions that um and certainly you know rugby Australia needs to be held to account um but uh hopefully you know some some brighter days ahead for the women's game in Australia uh all right team uh, before we wrap up this week uh we've got a couple of days to one year out 
I think September 8th is the official kickoff um, of the Rugby World Cup uh, in France next year for men. Um, seems like a pretty good time to come up with a few bold predictions. Uh, let's go to you first, Brittany. Uh, give me give me your finalists and uh, and then a winner. And perhaps where you think the, the Wallabies will uh, will finish. Uh, I, mine is probably perhaps not that bold. I feel like a lot of people have already tipped them, but I'm going Francais. Wee oui, wee oui, poo poo. The Frenchies are going to get it done. Um, they're going to overcome the, the pressure at home. They're going to use that home support and they'll, they'll get over the line. Um, I haven't looked at uh, who who could actually match up to get into that final, but uh, uh, I'm going to go France Island in the final. Um, France will get it done. And the Wallabies, where do I... Uh, just with how they're, they're going at the moment, uh, I, I, I can't see them perhaps making the semis, but oh, even, even then, it, it's going to be a really interesting tournament, even heading in. Just everyone at the moment is... Um, I guess if you look down in Southern Hemisphere, everyone's kind of topsy-turvy um so yeah I don't know I'm not I'm not backing them all the way that's for sure (laughs) yeah it is tough to do in terms of finalists uh of course the the machinations work where pool a and b play off in quarters one v two and two v one and c and d uh the same thing around and then they swap sides so that can certainly happen Britt um France and Ireland it would take uh, Ireland to finish second I think in their pool and but then win their they're semi or vice versa with France. So uh, tough to do, admittedly. Um, Christy, uh, what about you, mate? I do have France winning. And I've got them winning because the immense amount of depth that they've built, the resurgence of the French top 14 club um, competition is just incredible. You're seeing at the moment sides like La Rochelle and, and um, Tuelis and... Uh, you know, Anton Dupont and what he's doing there at the moment, it's just unbelievable. He's the world's best player. Um, I think they'll come up against England. I'm going to say that. And I think, uh, you know, England aren't yet the finished product, but there's a lot of time to come if they get some of their stars back that were rested for this um, recent series against England. I can just see them. They've got a good style of game that's suited to knock out rugby as well. Um, and I think the Wallabies, well, it's a toss of the coin. I think they'll make the quarters, but whether or not they can beat either an Argentinian side or an English side, at this stage, you would suggest that they can't. But if they get guys like Craig Cooper and a Karevi back, I think they very much can be in the frame. So look, they'll make the quarters, I'm sure of that. I don't think that they would lose to both Wales and Fiji. But I think we haven't seen a, this day for any side, with the exception of last year's rugby championship, be able to string games together and that's what it comes down to in, in World Cups. Sure does. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm thinking that uh, South Africa might go back to back, unfortunately, uh, as much as I love winding. Uh, I'm having a bit of fun with uh, with the good folk in the Republic uh, right at the minute with some, um, some takes that maybe they don't agree with. Uh, I think they will beat France uh, in the final. Um and uh, yes, it's in terms of the Wallabies uh, semi-finals. I, I think they can. Uh, I do think England will beat Argentina and, and the other pool and finish top. And I think the Wallabies on their day 
um, if they play to their potential, they're they're a better side than Wales. So, um, and then beat I got them beating Argentina in a one-off. Um, but I would think that their their run uh, will end abruptly at the semi-final stage. I can't see that uh, that amount of improvement from what I've seen uh, under Dave Rennie so far uh, to happen to to really put them up into that that elite top four at the moment. Um, Righto team, that's uh, that's a pretty good wrap, I think, for for this week. Uh, Brittany, great to welcome you back on again. Uh, you've got a feature coming actually on the Australians Women's Sevens uh, team, reflecting on their journey so far and and looking into the the Cape Town uh, World Cup this weekend. So look for that on on ESPN platforms from tomorrow. Uh, thanks very much for your time. And uh, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, make sure you follow all Brit's work uh, coming up on the Wallaroos and across in New Zealand. Uh, not too long now, Brit. Yeah, I know. I was just looking at the the calendar earlier and doing the the countdown. Only a few weeks, I think five five Saturdays until the first uh, the opening match. So um, mark it down in your calendars. It'll be a, an awesome night. And I just saw um, New Zealand Rugby uh, well, Rugby World Cup of are uh, announcing some uh, very exciting New Zealand talent who will open the festivities. So everyone should uh, get on board, get that Stan account ready to go. Absolutely. Christy, uh, mates, look, I, I don't know what to say to you, to be honest. Um, it's one of the toughest places in the world to be. Uh, the weather just looks like it's absolutely atrocious there at the minute. Um, what I will say is don't sleep on a delightful little rosé from Domaine Trappé, uh, best I've had. So uh, seek that out if you can this week. Look, I, I dabbled a few yesterday afternoon and that may have contributed to that afternoon nap. Um, but I'm looking forward to what the French Riviera has to offer, but good to join you, talk about some rugby and some big issues in the game, but get behind the Wallabies. They can, you know, they're, they're a plucky side. You never know. You can't ride them off to jag one of these two bloater slows. And if they can, well, you know, it will just continue that love affair, stop-start love affair with the Wallabies. So fingers crossed. But um, a lot going on over these next couple of weeks, including the, the squad naming on Wednesday. So looking forward to it. Yep, next stop, Marvel Stadium on Thursday week. Can't wait to be there. We'll talk to you after that.